Soil and Water, Conservation Conversations. This podcast connects you to local farmers that are utilizing conservation practices on their farms. You'll learn about the farm, the farmer, the conservation practice that they have successfully implemented on their farm, as well as the challenges they face and how they've overcome these challenges. Beyond feeding the world, clean water is one of the many ecosystem services agriculture can provide. Agriculture is not the problem, rather, it is the solution to protecting and improving our local water quality. My name is Kim Meyer. I work with a group called Yara Winds, which is a collaborative effort to improve water quality throughout the Yara watershed. Today I'm here with Bob Uphoff of Uphoff Ham and Bacon in the town of Dunn to discuss no-till farming. Bob is part of the Yara Pride Farm Farmer Group. Hey, Bob. Hi, Kim. Can you share some details about your farm? Well, it's a family farming operation. Uh, we've been fortunate here in this location uh, that the farm's been in the family since 1866. We've taken pride in uh, the ownership of the land that we farm, and uh, it's been uh, very nice that we've been able to pass it from generation to generation. And uh, we have the fifth generation and my two sons that are coming onto the operation as well. So up off ham and bacon, what do you uh, grow here, raise? <laughs> well, believe it or not, we raise pigs, as, along with the grain that uh, we feed into them and then also market some of the additional grain as well. We uh, basically have a farrow to finish operation. Uh, it's really a small by today's standards there. It's 100 sows. And then, of course, then we have a specialty uh, meat program that uh, we market through uh, some of the distributors here in the Midwest. Okay, and then your crops, what are you growing out in your fields? Well, primarily the corn is the big big crop that we raise, but then we also have soybeans, and then we'll bring uh, both uh, wheat and oats in as a small grain crop. Kind of a rotation, but also gives us an opportunity to uh, get some land ready in the summer and allows for some manure application at that time. Do you want to talk a little bit about your manure application practices? Well, we've got, uh, with, the, with the hog operation here, we actually have both uh, solid and liquid manure here. Uh, the solid is in the, in the sow housing area. Uh, it's a bed pack and with some outside uh, scrapings as well and outside platforms. Once uh, the pigs are weaned off as sow, of course, they go in the confined facilities there and both the, the nursery units as well as the finishing units are all have deep storage pits. Basically, we try to have at least six months of storage with uh, that manure. And then how do you apply that on your field? Well, the liquid manure, actually, we uh, utilize uh, a uh, manure tanker that we have a vertical manure incorporation tool on the back that actually, uh, Yohara Winds actually provided me with a grant here a number of years ago, one of the first grants they did, and and we put that on to experiment uh, with how that would work in applying the manure with uh, minimal soil disturbance. And it really has worked uh, very well for us. And it's one of the cost share practices we use in the Yohara Pride Farms uh, with uh, producers. And uh, so it has really been catching on, but uh, we've always incorporated the liquid manure since uh, we started uh, uh, way back nearly 50 years ago. Um, but uh, the nice thing about this is that it allows us to come in behind it with the no-till planner. We don't have to do any further tillage. So that's really what attracted us to that uh, program uh, on that type of equipment. Can you talk a little bit about the different conservation practices you have here? We, um, of course, the, the main one, of course, is all the no-tilling that we've done, uh, totally no-till, actually, since uh, we picked up that uh, manure incorporation tool. That was really the last acres that were not be able to be no-tilled. Uh, so uh, here for about the last eight years, all the acres have been no-tilled. 
We also have uh, grass waterways. Uh, we do do a lot of contour farming, uh, even with the no-tilling. We do like to try to catch as much of the water on the fields as we can. Can you talk a little bit about any technology you have on your farm? Well, I think as technology has progressed here, we continue to add it on. Uh, we do have uh, uh, the ability to uh, do variable rate seeding there with the planter there. Uh, uh, we do uh, are able to adjust down pressure as we go across the field. We Our equipment, uh, we're in kind of a unique area here. Uh, we don't get the best satellite service, and uh, and we don't have a lot of acres to really justify the cost of the RTK systems. And so you'll still see us with the markers on our planters uh, because, really, that's the only uh, pass that we make that we where we would need the RTK. Uh, so we haven't been able to justify the cost of that uh, technology yet. Um, but we try to utilize uh, what uh, we think can work for us. And, of course, uh, with the new generation, they're into it a little bit more than, uh, you know, those of us who are about retirement age. So going back to the no-till, what was it that got you thinking about doing no-till on your farm? Back in the late 80s, I actually kind of stumbled into it. At that time, uh, my brother and I were farming together, and uh, and unfortunately he had uh, got uh, sick during the uh, tail end of the corn planting season, and we didn't have all the tillage done. The calendar was getting short on us as far as getting the crop in the ground and uh, so one afternoon rather than go back and get the chisel plow and all the other tillage equipment going I just thought well I'll just swing the planter in and just to kind of see you know what would happen and uh, the cards were with us that year uh, it actually worked out pretty good even though we didn't know a whole lot about it but uh, the planter was able to get the seed in the ground and we were able to get a, a nice crop off of it there so uh, that got us thinking about uh, maybe it's something we should explore uh, the second year wasn't quite as good I think if we you know we look back on that second year and I kind of chuckle about it I think we probably made every mistake possible we could with no tilling and it showed <laughs> so can you talk a little bit about the progression of obviously getting started and into where you are now? Well, I think uh, technology, both uh, with equipment and as well as with uh, crop protection products, uh, is so much more now than it was uh, there in the late 80s. When I think back of the planter we tried to do no-tilling with to what we're doing today, uh, it's, a, it's a day and night difference. That time, you know, you just basically had kind of a lightweight planter, uh, uh, not a lot of chance to control the down pressure. Seed closing was okay, but it wasn't anything to write home about. And so today we'll come in with uh, the row cleaners and the seed firmers and the closing wheels and the down pressure and uh, just a whole host of things that we've got on the planter today that we didn't. And it seems as we progressed, as we came through the 90s, each planter that we uh, would add into the operation here, we put a little bit more onto it and uh, and got it geared more towards no-till to uh, where the, the one we're currently running today is not a new planter. Actually, it's uh, probably approaching close to uh, 18 years old, I think, uh, but uh, we've upgraded that. Uh, and uh, so it's one that is really set up to do the no-till. Can you talk about some of the challenges that you've been up against and how you've overcome those over time? Well, at the um, field day we had here a few weeks ago there, I explained to everybody that if you're going to go into no-tilling, uh, you better come in with a somewhat of a plan. And really, it starts in the fall before you're going to do the no-till. 
managing your residue is very critical with no-till and uh, you don't always realize it until you see what's going on out there in the field. So if your combine's capable of having a 12-row head on or a 40-foot grain platform on, that uh, what's coming out of the back of the machine better be being spread the same distance across the field. Uh, you want a uniformity within your residue. And then from there on, as you're doing that, you also want to be paying attention to your weed control of, of how well it worked that year and what are your challenging weeds. Because that's one thing we've noticed in the no-till is that uh, the type of weeds that uh, show up in the no-till are a little bit different than what the tillage program. So uh, you've got to be aware that you're going to see kind of a change of the type of weeds that you're going to be having to deal with. What about soil moisture in the springtime? If you have a fairly dry spring, it's a beautiful. <laughs> if you have a wet spring, then it's more of a challenge because we're not burying the residue. We're not aerating the soil ahead of the planter. Everything we do is right on the planter. They're outside of uh, some initial fertilizer application early on and uh, usually an early burn down pass uh, for weed control. So we've got last year's residue there on the field. Uh, it does act as a very good uh, sponge. Uh, it's going to keep the soil more moist than you do with the tillage. Uh, it also is going to keep the soil cooler. And so we're often seeing there where we'll probably be two, three, four, maybe as many as five days behind the tillage guys and uh, getting started into the fields. Um, but uh, we've learned that uh, we need to be patient. If we go in there, if the moisture conditions are too wet, you're going to see a serious sidewall compaction. And uh, so and that will come back to haunt you should the summer dry out. Uh, at the same token there that uh, we'll also see that if you're coming into a period where you had a, a quick warm up, the soil temperature isn't really too warm yet, but you know, you're at 50 degrees, but then they're talking cool down, that will give you problems as well with the no-tilling. So what we've kind of learned over the years is that we want to make sure that we get our soil temperature. We like to see it in the top four inches. We like to be getting closer to 55 degrees because then it's going to hold the temperature. Uh, and that is one thing that we've noticed there with all that residue, even though it's slower to warm up, it actually will hold the temperature better. And so the soil will not cool off quite as quick. But uh, if you have a prolonged period of uh, damp weather and cooler temperatures, and because you don't have the sunlight getting there to help move it up another degree or two, you want to get going into a, a little slightly warmer temperature than normally you do with uh, tillage ground. So what are some benefits you've seen from implementing no-till? From our operation, I think, first of all, it's a labor-saving. Uh, we're saving a number of passes across the field in front of the planter. Uh, by far, that uh, is uh, big savings. When we were doing tillage years ago, uh, you'd see the fuel delivery truck here several times during the spring. Uh, now he's kind of like the Maytag repairman. He's pretty lonely out there because, you know, he'll fill up the tanks at the start of the season. We won't see him until the summer again. So it's been nice that we're not having to uh, burn the extra fuel that way. The other benefits that we see, of course, is a little longer term. And uh, our ground here, uh, we, we have some nice uh, loam areas. The lower parts of the fields are nice loam. But once we start rolling up onto the ridges, we have a lot of clay here. And uh, so I can remember when we were doing tillage, we probably would make three, four passes with the, with the finishing tool trying to get, break down the clumps on the clay. Well, 
now we can roll in there with the planter and uh, most springs that stuff is just like planting into a garden just like planting into the loam ground and so but it's taken a little bit of time it usually takes you know three to five years for the soil to get to that condition but boy once it gets there you just don't have the lumps that you're planting around anymore it just is such a a nicer seed bed and uh, just allows for you to uh, create a you know just a better conditions for the seed to come out can you talk in more detail about the equipment that maybe you started with and then over time how you've made adjustments to make it work best with your system just about all the planters i see today the new ones that uh, dealers are putting together for the farmers are basically set up like ours is for no-till and but a lot of these guys are doing all the tillage with them and so what's on these planters nowadays is basically what we've been running on the no-till we started out initially we you know, we basically just went in with a bare planter. I mean, that, that first year, there just wasn't anything on it. As we realized what we needed to do, we, our first change was that we started with a culture in front of the row units. And that was fine, but the real benefit that we saw was when we went to the row cleaners. And uh, we have floating row cleaners, so actually they, they really don't dig into the soil. They're just there to move the residue out of our way as we come in. And that's really is a critical part of the planning. In fact, the planter now, we no longer run a culture in front of the row units. Uh, the ground is so mellow out there that uh, we don't see the need for that. And we leave that up to the seed openers onto the corn planter. Down pressures, because you will run into varying soil types, or if you go from a corn stubble field into a soy stubble field there, uh, your moisture conditions will change, and so your down pressure is going to have to change. And so we look at ways of trying to be able to adjust that, uh, especially as we change a field to make sure that uh, realizing just what the soil conditions are in that field. We also use the seed firmer, uh, which to kind of help put the seed uh, into the trench uh, once the disc openers have opened it up. And then we come back and then to close it is probably the the change that we've made here probably most recently and we've gone to a uh, type of a finger type closing wheel actually ours are plastic uh, we actually like the system that we've got on but it really goes a long way so that if you're on the edge of your planning process where you might be putting a little bit of sidewall compaction uh, these uh, fingers actually allow you to uh, actually take that back out it really is uh, amazing but again you know if a person that's just put together a planter for tillage he's going to say that well that's those are the things i got in my planter and that's really what i'm trying to tell all these guys is that you already got the equipment on to do it it's just is a case of you know realizing there that to pay attention to what the ground conditions are telling you and uh, and let the planter do its job can you talk about the startup cost of this practice when you think about it you're not doing any tillage ahead of the planter so now you got to figure out how you're going to prepare that seed bed and so there's a lot of aftermarket equipment to put on these planters to help you with no-till um, and they all come with a price tag and so you know you, if you took a base planter that was basically you could go into a tilled field with and didn't have any of the other items on didn't have row cleaners on or the change in the in the closing wheels or any of the special downforce then uh, then you're adding a substantial cost to the planter i mean you'll probably more than double the price of that planter but then you're not buying the the disc you're not buying the field cultivators or the vertical till machines you're just you're investing it all onto the planter so overall has Moving to no-till creating more or less work for you? 
From a physical standpoint, it's less work uh, when you think about uh, comparing it to a tillage operation where you, you come in with uh, one or two tillage operations prior to the planter running. Uh, we don't have that. So from that standpoint, I'd say on a physical labor side is, is less, but the management is probably the one that uh, really kind of comes into play here because you've got to understand what the field or what the soil is telling you. When you see your neighbors running in the field because they've had the tillage done, you'd like to be going. It's a beautiful day, but you realize there that uh, because of the residue still on your field, you can't go. It gets to be kind of a kind of test your patience a little bit. thing that you want to want to realize there is that no-till is a little less forgiving than tillage. Your tillage passes will give you the opportunity to try to cover things up. Uh, the no-till, it kind of leaves you out there to hang. and uh, So if you do it wrong, then it's, you're going to see it all season long. But I can tell you if you've learned or you understand or you've talked with others and you don't uh, fall into some of the shortcuts or some of the pitfalls and you really concentrate that you want to do the best job you can with no-till, it actually will. It's a beautiful deal to watch that. Green, those little green rows pop out out of all that brown residue. I mean, people just think, well, you haven't planted that field, and you know, a week or two later, there's green rows all the way across those fields. I mean, and that's what my non-farm neighbors say. They say, when are you going to plant it? And I tell them, well, it's already planted. So, have you seen an increase in costs for herbicides? It depends on the year, uh, and it depends on uh, the type of uh, weed uh, pressure you may be experiencing in the area. We have learned over the years there that uh, where we come into fields with a little less residue onto them, like the soybean stubble fields uh, and some of the maybe the uh, grain fields where there's not a lot of residue left on them, uh, that they weren't put into cover crops or anything, that uh, yes, we'll usually come in with what we call a burn down product. It's prior to planting where we, whatever weeds are up green and growing, we want to kill them. But uh, then as we get into the regular after the planter makes a pass, uh, we have a similar uh, chemical program as the tillage folks have. And at the end of the day, we actually find out there that uh, in some instances there with the amount of residue that's out there in the field, it actually works to your advantage and it keeps some of the weeds out of it. The weed control is a season-by-season uh, deal, and uh, I can't say, you know, some years I, I know we probably use less uh, product than the tillage guys, and every other years that we may have to use more just because of the type of uh, uh, conditions that uh, Mother Nature gives us. Do you anticipate any longer term savings? Uh, maybe things that aren't quantifiable, like soil health or increased organic matter? I will say, from a farmer perspective, it's tough for us to measure soil health. I'm not sure. As I read different articles on it, it uh, means different things to different people. Uh, they automatically assume that if you do certain things that you got an improvement in soil health. At the end of the day, we have to measure uh, net revenue per acre. And so we kind of look at that's kind of our guiding principle as far as is the practice, has it improved the, the, the final figure on uh, the production of that crop? We have seen where we've had increases in the organic matter in these fields versus what uh, we did with the tillage. I'm not sure that it increases quite as quickly as some people may think it is. Um, but when we get down to it, I think the thing that probably opened up my eyes here, Kim, was a few weeks ago when we did that soil pit on that one field of ours here for the Hair Pride uh, field day. 
and uh, to hear the soil scientist as he began to explain and could see after eight, nine years of no-tilling in a field there were how far the worm channels were down into and through the soil profile and how the roots were following those soil profiles. So that alone tells me that uh, it must be working. And at the end of the day, again, I come back to these are things I have to, you know, I have to kind of see or have a way of measuring. And so then, as I told you earlier, that, you know, I remember, you know, making three or four passes with finishing tools to try to get a, a smooth seed bed to plant a seed kernel in. And now with that planter, we're running in such beautiful conditions. So we know the soil is changing. We know there are things. How does it relate? What the, how does it relate to soil health? I don't know. I, I really don't. But it is working for us. Uh, we've seen a very good improvement uh, in uh, these fields. And uh, so it's, it's a program that we're comfortable with and uh, we're going to stick with it. Have you seen an increase in carrying capacity like in the... Know that fall where it's wet, maybe you can get out a little sooner and not rub things up. I'm just curious if you've seen that. Well, I think the thing that uh, we have to realize uh, there with no-till, and uh, if we, we back up a little bit and we start in the spring of the year as the frost leaves the ground, so now the ground is really mellow. It's uh, very loose, uh, and to me, I, I'd like to say it's kind of fragile, and so that's why we uh, try to avoid as many trips ahead of the planter out there in the fields. We try to minimize that uh, to a bare minimum. Uh, because uh, the conditions are such is that it's a very loose condition, uh, very nice. As the year goes on, as you get the rainfall effects uh, onto the fields, you're going to see that uh, your water holding capability has really increased on these fields. And uh, so now you're keeping the moisture. And so then when you come through these dry periods that you're able to, the crop is able to weather itself through. And as we go into the fall there, what we've been noticing, the longer we no-till a field is actually the soil structure is not really hard, but it's strong. And uh, so actually, uh, we do not see in normal conditions there uh, the compaction or the uh, sinking of the wheels into the soil structure on the no-till fields as you do with a tills field. And uh, the example I use is my son uh, uh, was you know, hauls grain for us and when he backs a semi into the field there that uh, he doesn't think anything of it. Uh, he was helping out a friend of ours that uh, does quite a bit of tillage and when he backed in their fields he couldn't believe how far his empty truck sunk into the field. And, uh, and uh, so again, it just kind of one of those things that it's kind of subtle. You don't, I don't know how you measure that or anything, but again, uh, we can see that uh, as long as it's not excessively wet, we don't want to want to leave ruts or anything but on most years that will go into these fields and you won't see the see the uh, tracking of the combines or the trucks or anything. Do you have any last advice you'd like to give to somebody who is considering moving to no-till or just getting started? What are some things that they should think about? Well I think first of all uh, there's a number of people out here that have been working with no-till for a number of years and uh, and there really aren't any hidden secrets or anything. Uh, you know, just ask questions, and we're usually pretty open as far as that. Uh, there's some publications, and the No-Till Farmer is a really good one for people to take a look at. Uh, uh, they've been following No-Till for a number of years and uh, done an excellent job, and so they put together some really good articles uh, on that. Um, I think as we look at the technology we have around here today, that I think the only thing that holds people back from doing no-till is they think they cannot do it. 
Uh, I think if they change the mindset a little and says we want to make no-till work, that uh, uh, be surprised that uh, most of them probably already have the equipment on hand. I would suggest there that maybe they not take the whole farm into no-till, but uh, take a field or two that and uh, learn to find out what their comfort level is with it so they understand it. Um, because it took us probably from the time we started no-tilling until we went entirely into no-till, it probably was a 20-year process. The thing we've learned over the years is that uh, once you s decide to switch a field into no-till, you need to stick with it. Uh, we thought early on that we needed to uh, do some tillage, uh, so, you know, one or two years of no-till and come back with a year of tillage. Well, we found out we were just delaying it and we were confusing the soil. So uh, we felt that we needed to, uh, if we were going to switch a field into no-till, it was going to be now become no-till, and that's how we're all the passes on it were going to be. And I think that's that's when we really began to see the 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 improvement in the soil structure that's when we really began to see things really blossom i mean you know we were we were like a lot of other people well maybe one year we'll we'll no-till soybeans in the corn stubble and we'll go from there and then we'll come back and we'll till up the bean field and plant into a clean field and you know that back and forth it just were confusing the soil it just didn't know whether it was going to be a tilled field or it was going to be a no-till field but uh, once we realized as we were you know we were experimenting on some of the other fields where we were just constantly you know, there was no further tillage, and boy, those were the fields that all of a sudden those things just took off, and uh, they all have the comparable yields to any fields that you till. So thanks, Bob, for all the information today. Well, thank you, Kim. Uh, I hope uh, we can help a few folks out as they go through with uh, working with no-till.